Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. Hola, buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you again this week. That intro song is Angus McDonald and River of Life. And you can, of course, check out a link to his website and more of his material on my site at www.catholichack.com. Just look for the show notes to this episode, which will be called I Opposed Him to His Face. And that's what we're going to be talking about this week. We're looking at Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. What did St. Peter do so wrong? Was he really acting like a hypocrite, or was it St. Paul who learned a valuable lesson here? It's that famous verse that so many critics of the church will use to show how St. Peter really wasn't all that, you know, special. He wasn't all that, you know, prime or supreme or first among equals, or that he was, in fact, a sinner like everybody else. But uh, I think those are obvious things, and uh, we're going to get into all of that on today's show. I've been spending a lot of time focusing and trying to promote the next Fullness of Truth Catholic Family Conference coming up in November on the 20th and 21st in Houston, Texas. It's called Winning the Culture War, Living Our Faith in a Modern Culture. And you can find more information on that at fullnessoftruth.org. Well... As always, before we get into today's topic, let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory and honor and praise be to you, Almighty God, as again we come before you to sit at your feet like Mary, and to cease with our work like Martha, and to learn from our Lord Jesus Christ, who loves us so much that he died to bring us the church. His body, his blood, 
the sacraments, the grace that works in our lives to reconcile us to God and to bring about our salvation, that we might have faith in him who saves. And so we ask to dive deep into his word and that it might reveal to us the truths of our salvation history, our family story. And so we also pray for the repose of the soul of John Medeiros. Eternal rest grant unto him, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon him. May he rest in peace. Amen. We also pray for the discernment and direction of life for Anne in the UK, for His Holiness Pope Benedict XVI, and for new media evangelization, that we might bring about the new evangelization that our beloved Pope John Paul II called for. May we always serve the church in this capacity, in every means and in every vocation, in every state of life. May we serve our Lord Jesus Christ in his church. We pray and ask Our Lady to intercede for all of us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as I said, we're going to be talking about Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. It's that verse where St. Paul opposes St. Peter to his face in front of everyone, calling him out. It's that apostolic chewing, you know, (laughs) the apostolic uh, uh, chewing out of St. Peter. Now, have you ever heard critics of the church actually, you know, bring this verse up? I have. I've heard them use this verse to say, that St. Peter could not have been, you know, first among equals. He could not have been the supreme pontiff, if you will, of, uh, of all the other apostles. Because look here, St. Paul, you know, puts him in his place. Really? Is that really what's going on? I've also heard a lot of critics use this verse to say that there is no way that St. Peter enjoys some sort of papal infallibility if here he is showing himself to be a sinner or a hypocrite. But what they lack is an understanding of what that teaching really is. What does the church teach about papal infallibility? You know, and in reality, this has nothing to do with whether or not the the Pope is teaching about faith and morals, and he's specifically teaching ex cathedra or from his chair to all of the church. I mean, it's a very specific formula, if you will, that has to occur in order for papal infallibility to take place. And in reality, papal infallibility has nothing to do with the personal fallibility of the man who happens to be Pope. Instead, that charism protects not the man, but rather it protects the church from bad popes and bad teaching. So really, it just shows a a lack of true understanding of the teaching on behalf of the critic. So what I'd like to do is go into this this verse, chapter 2, verse 11 of Galatians, and show how neither one of these cases happens to be the case. And in fact, there is a valuable lesson to be learned here. And I propose that it was St. Paul who learns this lesson, not St. Peter. I also propose that we can all learn a valuable lesson, as this will apply to each of us in our daily walk of faith, as we also have to live and breathe in this church, this worldwide 
uh, universal church that is the Catholic church. You know, we have people from all sorts and all backgrounds, and we don't always get along in this family. And a lot of times we, we tend to argue amongst each other. And I think this verse can speak to us all. So let's take a look. In an effort to save some time, uh, I encourage you to read chapter two. Actually, read the first three chapters of the book of Galatians and try to get an understanding of the context in which, you know, St. Paul is writing. Because it's clear that St. Paul is pretty bent out of shape. He is very short in his introduction. He's sweet, he's to the point, and he's somewhat jaded here. Okay? You can tell he's taking this very personal because the background that's going on here is St. Paul had founded these communities in, in the region of Galatia. And after he leaves, these Judaizers come in and they start to change up the gospel. They start to teach something different that St. Paul didn't teach. And that is really getting under the skin of St. Paul. He is not happy that these Judaizers are coming in and telling his converts, his communities, that now you have to be circumcised. If you're going to be saved, then you must be circumcised. And you must keep the dietary laws of the Mosaic Covenant, of the Mosaic Law. Okay, You must observe the Jewish feasts. St. Paul is having none of this, okay? He is not interested in any of this. So those first 10 verses of chapter 2 of the book of Galatians, he goes into and starts touching on these issues. You know, he goes up to Jerusalem in the first council of Jerusalem, and we read about that in Acts chapter 15. He, he actually references this trip in uh, the second chapter of Galatians, and he talks about how the whole point of that was to, to really get to the bottom of what the church will teach and practice as regards to bringing about Gentile converts. Are we going to, in fact, make them be circumcised? I mean, wasn't circumcision only a foreshadowing to baptism? Are we going to make them keep the dietary law or was not food, all food considered clean with the coming of the new covenant under Jesus Christ, our Lord? These were all hot button issues for Paul, and he had been debating these Judaizers hotly, and he was frankly fed up with their efforts to circumvent the work that he has been putting up, that they were tearing down, that he was preaching a gospel, and that they were preaching something other than that. So he actually says, if someone, even an angel from heaven, were to preach another gospel, let that man be accursed, let that man be anathematized as we were to look at the Latin version of that. So, St. Paul goes up to Jerusalem, and he shares his version of the gospel to the pillars of the church there. Okay? The, uh, the, the St. Peter, and the John, and, and James, who was the first bishop of Jerusalem. And so he shares his version, what he's teaching, to the Gentile converts. And they realize that, that there's nothing to be added. And he actually says that, that the pillars added nothing to his version of the gospel. Why is that? Because St. Paul received this gospel directly from Christ. Does that make St. Paul better than the others? No. Why? Well, because the others, St. Peter and the others, received their gospel also from Christ. So this is a mark of being a true apostle, to receive your gospel directly from Christ himself. Because Christ made a special dispensation 
after he had risen to heaven on the the uh, the Shekinah glory cloud and sat at the right hand of God, there perpetually offering up his own sacrifice before the very face of God, he made a special dispensation by appearing to one untimely born there on the road to Damascus. And so St. Paul makes this clear that he received his gospel directly from our Lord, but he verifies this gospel with St. Peter specifically. But he notices that they don't add, so he's obviously teaching the right thing. And then they offer him the right hand of fellowship, and they validate his mission to the Gentiles, as opposed to the the mission of St. Peter and John and the others to the circumcised. So the whole plan is to bring about total, you know, uh, conversion for all the world, to bring about the the firstborn, which are the Jews and the Israelites, and then the Gentiles too, to bring them all into the fold, to be a true kingdom of priests. But those pesky Judaizers were uh, stirring up trouble, okay? As we said, they were going behind him and preaching a different gospel, uh, a gospel that wasn't the same as what St. Paul had been teaching. They were talking about the works of the law, keeping the Jewish feasts and festivals, keeping the dietary requirements, you know, to circumcise these these Gentile believers, which is a, a lot like what the Maccabeans were doing. When the Maccabeans were out there and conquering these regions, they were forcing the Gentiles to become circumcised as a way of subduing them and bringing them into the fold. Okay, so that's a, a little bit of a hint there. And it, it becomes clear that they're lacking true understanding of the purpose of the Mosaic Law in the first place. They also preach and teach that the Jewish Christians should keep some distance from the Gentile Christians because the Gentiles were off eating whatever, and the Jewish Christians, they should keep this dietary requirement, and they didn't want to be scandalized or risk eating whatever, so they started to eat vegetarian or vegetables once they're in the diaspora or among the Gentiles. This is a sort of a, an illusion or a hint to, say, Daniel, who was in Babylon. And instead of eating the food that was offered to idols under King Nebuchadnezzar, he ate vegetables in hopes of maintaining his own dietary requirement under the law. And so, this is obviously upsetting St. Paul in a big, big way. They put the kibosh on this in the first Jerusalem Council, Acts chapter 15, and St. Paul is having none of this. He is not going to give one inch over over to these Judaizers and their lack of true understanding on the law and of what Jesus accomplished in relation to it. If we look at verse 15 of chapter uh, uh, 2, it says, quote, We did not yield submission even for a moment. St. Paul is drawing the line in the sand. He is maintaining a staunch position against these Judaizers. And it's important to remember that St. Paul, he was a student of the famous Rabbi Gamaliel. The Jews still call him our rabbi. He is so famous. He is so important to their theology that he is still called to this day our rabbi. And St. Paul was one of his prime students. So if anybody knew the law, it was St. Paul. And he is their biggest critic of these Judaizers because he claims they lack true understanding of what the law really is. He proclaimed the true gospel to these these Galatians and these Judaizers. They they tear down that work that uh, St. Paul put up. Okay, 
And like in Acts chapter 15, when St. Paul hotly debates them, he knows all too well the law, having studied, again, under this rabbi, that the law gives way to Christ. The law is a foreshadowing to the good things to come in this new covenant under our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they truly didn't understand. But uh, so St. Paul has to now repair all this damage being done. And that's, in, in an essence, what the letter to the Galatians is really all about. That's why he's so upset. And if we read uh, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 of this letter, we read, quote, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we preach to you, let him be accursed, or anathematized, as I said earlier. You see how, how, how on fire he is here? How bent out of shape he is over the whole situation? That even if we referring to the apostles, to his communion with the bishops, even if we teach something different than we already taught, or an angel from heaven were to teach you something different, let that man or that angel be anathematized. Remember that verse the next time the Mormons knock on your door. It's very important, that verse. Okay, well then, if that's the situation, and St. Peter Okay, he pays an apostolic visitation on the community of the Galatians when St. Paul was actually there. And St. Paul references this visitation in his, in his letter to the Galatians. And everything was going just fine. You know, St. Peter was having, you know, food and enjoying the company of these Gentile believers. And everything was on the up and up until a party of the uncircumcised comes down from James, down from uh, Jerusalem. Again, James was the first bishop of Jerusalem. And once that party arrives, Peter stops to eat and drink with the Gentile believers. No longer. Now he refrains. He draws himself back from them. And that really gets St. Paul all upset. And he says, starting up again in uh, chapter 2, verse 11 of the book of, Galatian, the book of Galatians, he says, quote, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he ate with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And with him, the rest of the Jews acted insincerely, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their insincerity. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves, who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet who know that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ? Even we have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law shall no one be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we ourselves were found to be sinners, is Christ then an agent of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up Again, those things which I tore down, 
then I prove myself a transgressor, i.e., if I build up the works of the law again, which I tore down, giving way to Christ, then I prove myself to be a transgressor. Verse 19, For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died to no purpose." Wow! I mean, how bold is that? A severe chewing out from St. Paul on St. Peter. It's clear he took this very personal. He was very upset at these Judaizers, and all the more at St. Peter's behavior, what he he perceived to be hypocrisy. St. Paul was not about to let these Judaizers tear down the work he put up, you know, for Christ in building these communities and preaching the gospel. So, was St. Peter really wrong? That's the question. Did St. Peter really sin or commit hypocrisy? The party of the uns of the circumcised rather or the Judaizers, they failed to understand the purpose of the law. We talked about that a few minutes ago. St. Paul spends the next several chapters discussing the works of the law and its purpose. The law was a pointer to Christ. That's what they are failing to understand, that once Christ came about with the new covenant which he makes in the upper room, he says, this is the blood of the new covenant, the, the, the covenant in my blood, which I will shed for you on the cross, to paraphrase. That starts the new covenant. That, that, that perfects all. Everything from the old. He he stands in the place of the cursed in the old covenant because covenants have both curses and blessings. When you break the covenant, you, you get all the curses. When you keep the covenant, you get all the blessings. This is why Moses says to the people before they go into the land, choose life. Choose life that it may be well with you in the land. In other words, keep the covenant, the word that you have made with God, that it may be well with you. But no, instead they choose death. They bring about the curses of the covenant instead of the blessings. Our Lord stands. He takes the role of the one cursed to purify and fulfill the old covenant, bringing in the new, perfecting everything from the old into the sacraments of the new. And this is what the Judaizers are failing to understand, that once that happened, the the need to, to keep the prescriptions of the law, the the liturgy in the temple with the sacrifices, the feast days, the dietary requirements, then the need to keep separate from Gentiles. They were lacking true understanding from all of this because it is our Lord who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the firstborn who will be passed over and taste death and whose blood will be shed for the remission of sins. Not the blood of bulls and goats, but is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the bread and wine of the feast of the Passover that will become his body and his blood, that unlike those in the wilderness who ate the manna and died, we who eat the Eucharist, the true body, the true blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, will live, and it is we who will be raised up on the last day. The circumcision of the old becomes the baptism of the new. Instead of the mark in the flesh of the foreskin, it is now a mark, an indelible mark on the heart and the soul of man and woman who are welcomed into this covenant of our Lord and welcomed into the kingdom of God. 
Instead of being set apart and then remaining apart, we are set apart, but so that we can be sent out into the world and not remain apart, but bring in all of our brothers and sisters, bring them into the fold of the kingdom of God. We are truly a kingdom of priests, as St. John says in Revelation 1. We are sent at the end of every Mass, sent into the world, not to remain apart, but to be sent out as those set apart to bring in all. That was the purpose of salvation history and the people of God, and that's what they they forgot. But what about St. Peter? I mean, don't forget, St. Peter was the first to be sent to the Gentiles. He was the first to be questioned about eating and drinking with these Gentiles and, and converting with them. We read about this in the book of Acts, chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the apostles and the brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, Why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? But Peter began and explained to them in order, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, No, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brethren also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how how he had said, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I? that I could withstand God. When they heard this, they were silenced, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance unto life. If St. Peter already knew that it was okay to eat and drink and welcome the Gentiles into the fold, then why does he draw back from them when the party of James comes down? This is what upset St. Paul so much. This is why St. Paul opposes him to his face in Antioch. I mean, what gives, St. Peter? Why, if you already know it's okay, do you draw back? Are you a hypocrite? A sinner? Are you not prime amongst equals? Or is there something greater going on? Notice here that there is no answer from St. Peter. We don't read of an answer from St. Peter, either in his works or in the book of Acts or anywhere else, that he responds to St. Paul in any way. I think that's very significant in my opinion. As we said, St. Paul was taking this very personal about the Judaizers, having debated them hotly about this issue of Gentile converts. But I want you to detect here a sense of stubbornness of St. Paul a sense of of somewhat pride in his part. 
I mean, can you relate to that in any way? I know I can. There are many times where I draw the line in the sand and say, no, I will not give one single inch, not one single inch to those who do not agree with me. But I propose to you that St. Peter was not trying to commit any sin or even be a hypocrite here. Why? Well, I submit to you that he was trying to not be a stumbling block to his Jewish Christian friends and believers. Because he knew that through his actions and them perceiving his actions with these Gentiles, they would have been scandalized. If we read in chapter 2, verse 7, just as St. Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, St. Paul knew St. Peter was being sent out to bring about the conversion of the Jews. And so St. Paul or St. Peter had a particular interest in ensuring that the Jewish Christians were not going to just leave because they were scandalized because they didn't understand their own freedom in Christ just yet. And I submit to you that St. Paul learns this lesson because some seven or eight years after he writes this letter to the Gentiles or to the Galatians, rather, he writes a letter to the Romans. There he says in chapter 14, quote, verse one, quote, as for the man who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not for disputes over opinions. One believes he may eat anything, while the weak man eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who abstains, and let not him who abstains pass judgment on him who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the master is able to make him stand. St. Paul goes on to talk about how you cannot be a stumbling block for your Jewish brethren who do not understand that they are weak in faith and that they are free now in Christ to not keep the Jewish festivals and the Jewish law because it has been perfected in Christ Jesus. St. Paul learned this lesson from St. Peter. Until next time, may God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground. Bitcoin Digital.